his word was like a seed. There's so many times. One of my favorite messages that has been preached here in the last few years was, was Pastor Brittany a few months ago, and she got up here, and she said, you know, so many people read the word, and they say, okay, well, that's what the word says, and I declared it, and I prayed it, but you know what? I'm not seeing it, so what's wrong with you, Lord? What's wrong with you, God? But, you know, that's the equivalent of putting a seed in the ground, walking away and coming in the next day and looking at the dirt and saying, all right, I put a seed in the ground, but, you know, I don't have any tomatoes yet. I put a seed in the ground, but I don't see any watermelons. I put a seed in the ground, but I don't see any cucumbers growing. I guess it doesn't work. I guess seed and harvest doesn't work whenever I plant something. But, you know, you got to stay at it. You got to come back every day and check. You got to make sure that seed's getting water. You got to make sure it's not getting dug up. You got to make sure it's getting the nutrients it needs. And Jesus said, if you can understand this, you'll understand everything I say. The word of God is like a seed. And when it gets planted and as it grows, you'll see it produce. We can't declare the word. We can't read the Bible. And then the next day when we see something happening in our life that is the opposite of what this says, we can't throw it out and say, well, I guess it doesn't work. Man, stay at it. And that's why I always pray, man, Lord, thank you. Your word is like a seed because we hear these messages and you, you can't just in one ear out the other and go about your week. Man, sometimes you have to digest this. I don't know about y'all, but man, I used to take notes when, when my dad preached all the time and I'll go back to my notebooks that I have now. I'll go back and read notes from sermons and messages 15, 20 years ago. And 15, 20 years later, I'll open up a notebook and read something and all of a sudden a spark and you see a little leaf above the ground and you're like, man, that seed took a while to grow. But you know, sometimes it takes seeds a while. I think if I'm getting these number rights, bamboo, I think, grows under the ground for like 13 years or something. And then once, it's, once a little sprout of bamboo comes up above the ground, it can grow like 30 feet in like two weeks or something. So seeds are different, but you have to water it. There's so many distractions in this world trying to steal that seed from your heart. There are, Jesus said, birds of the air that will come and, and steal that seed. There are thorns if the seed begins to grow that will choke it out, right? There's rough ground that, that's hard for a seed to take root in. But man, let's choose to be good ground and let's choose to give the seed what it needs and see it grow. And I'm saying all that because I'm talking about the kingdom in this series. And one of the things that I have seen and noticed over the past six years pastoring is that a lot of believers just don't understand how the kingdom of God operates. And that's actually sad because when you understand how the kingdom operates, you will then be able to take advantage of all the benefits, all the promises, all the blessings that are a part of that kingdom. Man, if you're living in a country, if you're living in the U.S. and you don't understand the laws here, you don't understand that, that we have this thing called freedom of speech, you might guard your mouth a little bit. You might hold back to things you really think. You know, Andrew Womack has this great story where he visited uh, Russia right after the fall of communism. And he wanted to kind of see the sights and enjoy things. Not as a, He didn't want people to notice he was a tourist. He wanted to blend in. The first few days he was there, people knew he was an American. They were pointing to him saying, it's an American, it's an American. So the next day he bought or borrowed some clothes that were very, that were very Russian. Like he, he said, I looked in the mirror and I blended in with everybody else. And he said he was walking down the street and, and by lunchtime people were walking past him and noticing saying, look at this American, this American's here just looking at everything. And he asked his translator, he said, how do they know I'm American? And he said, because you're holding your shoulders up high, you're holding your head up and you're looking at people in their eyes. 
He said, less than a year ago, we were under a communist regime and you just went about your business. You held your head down. You didn't look at anybody. You didn't tempt anybody, especially if they were SS. You, you, weren't, you didn't want them to notice you and you didn't want to notice them. So we walk with our heads down and we don't look at people. We just go about our business. But you walk like an American. You walk like you're proud to be alive. You walk like you have uh, freedom. He said, our people here aren't used to that. So we notice immediately that you're American. And that's powerful. When you know who you are, some of us take such, we take for granted everything from our, our liberties here in the U.S. But you know what I want to talk about today is taking for granted the liberties and the freedom we have as members of the kingdom of God. But we have to know, we have to know these benefits to let the seed grow and to see it operate in our lives. So we've been talking about this for weeks and I'm not going to. I'm not going to show you those graphs that we made the last few weeks, but if you remember them, they'll be important because there's an old covenant and a new covenant. And, and here's the very, very quick, less than a paragraph version. The old covenant, the old way, the law that God gave Moses led to relationship with God, but it led to relationship with God through our own good works. Sin was an issue, and through our own works of making sacrifices and, and, and living a, a godly lifestyle, men, women were able to have a relationship with God through their own good works. It does get an amen, but there's a better amen coming in the new covenant because the new covenant, we lead, it leads to the Father through the good work of Jesus. It has nothing to do with our good works. In the new covenant, there is nothing that separates the believer from the love of the Father. Because just like the old covenant, it leads to Jesus. But unlike the old covenant, and actually in a complete reverse course from the old covenant, it leads to the Father through the good work of Jesus. And now our relationship with him is a done deal. It's like the song we were singing. There's nothing I have done that can change the Father's love. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? You know, there's believers that fall into the trap of thinking that we have to earn our place with the Father. And just like that, with the same principles behind it, there's believers that believe we can, through our own behavior, lose our place with God. And neither are true thanks to the new covenant. Neither are true. We've talked about this extensively for the last few weeks. So I'm going to leave it at that. If you have questions, reach out. I'll send you my notes. Go back, listen to the podcast, watch the services, because we have talked about that a lot. The question that always comes up, well, then is it important? And can I just go do whatever I want? Can I live a lifestyle of sin? Man, if you listen to any of these messages, you will hear me say this over and over. No, probably not. You probably shouldn't. Sin is bad. Sin has consequences, negative consequences, very negative consequences. However, those consequences do not include being separated from God. That's the difference. That's what we're talking about. Our good behavior cannot earn our place with God. Our bad behavior cannot lose our place with God. And also, Bill Johnson talks about this a lot. If you want to live a life where you're operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and you're living above and not below, where you're living as a leader, not a follower, where you're living as the head and not the tail, then you better get all that nasty, junky sin out of your life because that will clog up the work of the Holy Spirit operating through you like nothing else. So we'll leave that there. Today I'm gonna to talk about how the kingdom operates based around this story that my mom told just a few weeks ago, the anniversary of our church, 
uh, July. It's the first, second Sunday of July is the anniversary of our church. It's also the anniversary of my dad's passing. He passed away on July 8th, six years ago. Uh, and so the anniversary of the church is always a bit of an emotional thing, you know, more than just celebrating the, the church and 30 years of ministry here at FCG. There's also a, a layer for those of us that knew my dad and for the family. We also think a lot that week about how much he meant to us and that he's been gone for so long. So that week before service started, we had our morning roundup and I was just sharing stories about 30 years of ministry and my mom spoke up and told this story that I had never heard before, and I thought I'd heard all her stories. I thought if I hadn't heard them, I was there for them. And this is a good day for me to share it because my whole family is here. It's such a, such a blessing to have my sister here, my other sister here, and my grand, well, I was going to say my grandniece, my grandbabies, but they're not my grandbabies. They're my nieces. My nieces are here. I'm not that old yet. <laughs> but we got the whole family here, and so this is a good story. I don't know if they've heard it either. I heard it for the first time. So fair warning, guys, here comes a dad story. Um, but mom says this is still part of the Sullivan family ministry tradition is you start projects that are incapably, incapable to complete except for working your, your butt off for 24 or 48 straight hours and somehow getting the project done. We did one this week. Uh, Jaron and, and a few of the guys here and a few of the ladies got together and did the floor in the modular. So it's the main floor is done, which is awesome. There's some other stuff, but there's some really sore ladies and guys here today because that's hard work. Uh, but man, it looks great out there. So, so keeping with that tradition, 20-something years ago, it was a Saturday night and somebody made curtains for these giant windows. I think that's like 30 feet high. And my dad says to my mom, we're going to hang these curtains because, number one, it's going to look great. Number two, they're going to be at church tomorrow. They made the curtains. They're going to be upset and offended if we don't have these curtains up. We're going to hang curtains. And, you know, you call all the guys, and they're like, I just can't come. I'm sorry. So it's up to Pastor Barry and Pastor Diane to get these curtains hung up. So my dad did what anybody would do, any guy. You know those, those little memes that say this is why women live longer than men? This was the living version. Some of you have heard this technique. Some of you have heard me talk about this technique. But if you need to reach this ceiling, there's, there's a couple ways to do it, a couple safe ones. And then there's, there's our way of doing it, which is you put an eight-foot table out. And then you put another eight-foot table on top of that. And then you put the 12-foot ladder on top of that. And you just got to be real careful, real still. You climb up the ladder, and you can reach the top of the window. So this was only my mom and dad here this night. It was 1130 on a Saturday night. And my dad says, we're going to get these curtains hung up. And he he did it. Table, table, ladder. My mom says, Barry, what if you fall? You know, my dad was an unusual guy, so, so to entice him to maybe change his mind, it wasn't like, Barry, what if you fall? You have three children to think about. It wasn't, Barry, what if you fall? Uh, we got a whole life ahead of us to live. Barry, here's what to entice my dad, if you ever needed to know this. Barry, what if you fall? We wouldn't be able to have church tomorrow. That's a good point, honey. That's a good point. But you know what? I'm going to be real careful, and you just need to pray. And you stay down on the ground and pray, and if I fall, it'll be your fault. I guess you didn't pray good enough. That's what he told her. That's what she told us he said. So he climbs up the table, climbs up the second table, climbs up the 12-foot ladder. They hang the curtain. Thank God he got it up there. He got down. And then something really special happened. And I was, I was thinking about this next part uh, over the last few weeks. One day I was just thinking about it on a run. And I heard the Lord tell me, that's the kingdom of God. That is how my kingdom works, and you need to tell everybody about it. 
And, and what happened was my dad had a favorite album, a favorite artist, it was Paul Simon. Paul Simon has this awesome album called Graceland. I believe it came out like in maybe 1985, 1986. It's an amazing album. It's a masterpiece. If you never heard it, go listen to Paul Simon's Graceland today. We had it playing before service. That was my dad's favorite album. Side note, I remember the day in the early 90s when my dad brought home a giant seven-layer stereo system that looked like something out of a sci-fi movie. And the first CD I'd ever seen with my own eyes was probably like actually 1989, and it was Paul Simon's Graceland. He put the CD in after we set the stereo up. We literally sat around and listened to that album way too loud, probably till 2 o'clock in the morning. And uh, that was a good memory. Well, my dad gets down from the ladder safely, goes to the sound system and puts the album Graceland on through the speakers here at church. And then my mom said this, I never thought your dad could dance. He loved dancing, but I always just thought he's a bad dancer. She goes, we tried to dance before. It never went well. I'd step on his toes. He'd step on my toes. It was like we were fighting each other the whole time. But that day, he put the Graceland album on and I was so relaxed and so at rest and so at ease because he'd made it down the ladder safely that he grabbed me and we started dancing to the album and I let him lead for the first time in our marriage. And the first thing I realized is, man, he can really dance. The second thing I realized is dancing is fun. The third thing I realized is dancing with my husband is fun and really nice. I guess I should have been letting him lead for all these years. But it wasn't until she was at rest and at peace when she let him lead and then experienced fun and joy like never before, dancing to an album about a country called grace, a land called grace. And I was thinking about that and the Lord said to me, that's my kingdom. That's how it works. That's how it operates. And I said, okay, I get it, but you got to unpack it a little bit, Lord, because I got to go unpack it to the church too. I can't just say that. So I was thinking about it all week. And I'm going to tell you this, a lot of good things in the kingdom start with this one word called rest. This word called rest is an important, important word. And more so than an important word, it is important for us to understand what it means to rest in that completed work of Jesus. Because if you are the kind of believer that is all the time trying to earn your place with the Father that Jesus already gave you, then you're not going to have time for anything else, including listening to the Lord lead you and saying yes. Or the opposite end, if you're the kind of the believer that, that beats yourself up every time you make a mistake or, or fail at something, and that will happen, then you're going to be operating in so much shame and guilt, you might not even hear his voice as he begins to try to lead you. And you might, like my mom, think, man, I just don't understand the Lord. Every time he leads me somewhere, I, I'm too nervous. I don't know if it's going to be good. I don't know if it's his voice. But the first step is not always going to be just saying yes. If you want to get to that yes, man, let's make our first step entering into rest and resting in that completed work of Jesus, which we've been talking about for, for weeks. I'm going to read this verse, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. This talks about how complete the work is in our spirit. That's where we receive salvation. It says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give, you, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. 
I read this verse last week with a short explanation, so I'm going to give you another explanation here. That word, uh, that word give life is the word quicken in the King James, and what that means in the original translation, it's a compound word. The first part means to be alive, like your mortal body, and the second part means to come into agreement, right? So those of us that get very called up on, on how we're acting, on our own behavior, if you compare and pair this verse with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that says, we lay aside the sin that easily besets us by looking unto Jesus, then what this means is, instead of spending all of our time so self-centered, so self-focused, I got to get it right, I got to do better, I got to be better, and I'm telling you, I'm the king of that, I was the king of that, I used to have a list, a physical list of all the things I did wrong every day, I'd write it out, and I'd read it and say, Lord, I repent. And I was so focused on myself. You think I had time to listen to the voice of God speak back to me? No way. I had a lot of mess ups. I was a 16-year-old boy, 15-year-old guy. There was a lot of things on there. There was a whole lot of things on that list. And it was my entire relationship with God was this self-centered look at how good or bad I was that day. And there was days I laid down and I thought, I was pretty good today. Right? And I felt good. And I was like, man, Lord, you're so great. Thank you for, 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 for making a way. And then there was days I'd mess up and I'd lay in bed feeling guilty and beaten down by shame. But that's not either one how it's supposed to be. Romans 8.11 says all that stuff, the outside stuff, that behavior, God will even bring your behavior. Your body will begin to line up with what the word of God says as an outpouring of that understanding and that rest that we have in the new covenant. That as we rest, as we look unto Jesus and understand that our relationship with God, because of Jesus, is a done deal, that as an outpouring of entering that rest, life will come from our spirit to our mortal bodies. I believe that. I believe that includes healing. I believe that includes walking in the miraculous. It also, I believe, includes behavior. Addictions falling off, right? Addictions falling off without even having to go through the 12 steps. I got nothing against that, but it can also happen in a second. It can also happen in a moment. When my mom entered into that rest of, oh, it's all right. He made it down. He's safe. And she just allowed my dad to lead. They danced, and it was such a great moment. In fact, in the New Testament especially, the only thing you're going to see uh, the word say to strive for is rest. Hebrews 4.11 says, let us do our best to enter that rest. In the King James, it says, let us labor. Let us labor to enter that rest. So the labor is not to get our own life straight, our own work right. The labor is to enter the rest of the completed work. Finish it here, but if we disobey God... As the people of Israel did, we will fall. Let us labor or strive, as another translation, to enter that rest. But then it says this, but if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. The command here is to enter rest. And he's saying, listen, if you don't, this is so important, you're going to fall. You want to live a life where you're above falling? You want to live a life where you're above all this stuff? Enter into rest. It is that important. So important, I'm going to say work for it. Work to enter that rest. Why is it work? Because because of our humanity, we've been talking about this for months now, maybe weeks, whatever. Because of our humanity, because of this world, if we don't renew our mind to what the Word says daily, if we don't remind ourselves that Jesus completed the work, our mind 
will become conformed to the way this world works. And the world says you have to earn everything. If you have something, you got to pay for it. You can't even drive the church without paying for it. Your gas costs money. You don't turn your water faucet on without paying for it. Everything you do in this world is earn it and have it. Don't earn it and lose it. And we will think like that if we don't renew our mind to what the word says. That's from Romans 12, 2. So the labor that we have to enter the rest is keeping our mind in a state where we are more aware of the kingdom and how it operates than we are of the world and how it operates. And man, my mom gave us this beautiful picture of that. She gave us this beautiful picture that they, they danced to a song called Graceland, to an album called Graceland, as she entered into rest. And think about it, rest, it, it, resting in the completed work of Jesus if you want to break it down, is the foundational truth of our faith as believers. Because if he didn't complete the work, that means I still got to go earn it. If he didn't earn it for me, that means I got to go earn it. And the foundational, I think every denomination of Christianity teaches, you can't earn it. You can't receive this on your own. There is nothing you can do to be good enough. That's why we needed a savior. His name was Jesus. That's why we needed a Savior that took that sin, that took our sickness upon himself, took it into the ground, rose from the dead, but left all that junk there in the ground. We can't earn it on our own. It's the foundational truth of our faith. And if we cannot rest in that foundational truth, Man, we're not going to be able to take those next steps, which include hearing the voice of the Lord and saying yes, letting him lead us. If we can't get our mind wrapped around the truth that he's given us the greatest gift of all time, we can't earn it. And when he says go, you know what questions we're going to start asking? Well, what if? What if I'm not hearing you clearly? What if God doesn't have the best for me? I mean, how many of you grew up thinking, at least I did, I grew up in the church and people would say things like, man, God might call you to, to missionary, a little village in Africa. And I remember thinking like, can I take my Super Nintendo to that little village in Africa? Because I really like my Super Nintendo, right? And how many of you have been scared God's going to send me somewhere that I don't want to go and I'm going to be miserable for my whole life? I mean, we probably, if you've grew up in the church, you've been there. Side note, I mean, if God sends you somewhere, you're going to have a love and such an excitement in your heart for that if it means giving up everything. I promise you that. That's a side note. But you know, so many of us never get there where we hear the leading of the Father and we say yes because we're stuck at this very place. We could call it step one of what if that work that Jesus did is not actually complete? What if I actually do have to earn it? And we may not word it like that in our mind, but that's what we're saying every time we think we have earned or lost our place with the Father. That's what we're saying. That is what we're saying when we do that. And if it's not the questions and if it's not the, the knowing for a fact that God is for you that stops you from saying yes, then it'll be the shame and the guilt beating you down that will stop you from saying yes or even listening. I mean, I've talked to people that say, yeah, I, I, didn't, I haven't been to church in a while because I just got some things I have to get right within myself. I will come to church. That's the right place to do it. Come on, you need, we need each other. We need to talk to each other. You need to tell me this. And I need to say, well, what's going on? Let's work on it. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm for you. 
I haven't prayed in so long. I mean, God doesn't want me. There's a great scene in the office where a couple's getting married and there's another, another guy that hasn't been to church in forever and he keeps on walking to the, to the front doors of the church and then he turns around and walks away. And then, I mean, you see the ceremony started. He's still walking to the front door and walking away and you can just tell he's having a hard time and there's this great, this great moment where he finally makes it into the sanctuary way after the wedding's over and he just looks up and he goes, why are you always so mean to me? That's what he says. Which we know God is not that whatsoever. He only has good plans for us. But there's a lot of truth to that because there's so many people that stay away from the Lord because they think I've messed up too much. Well, remember this old covenant uh, where we had to earn our place realistically, if you want to call it that. We, want, we had to earn our way to the Father. Paul said it was great. It was glorious. The new way is even more glorious. The old way ended in death. The new covenant only gives life. But you know, David was a part of that old covenant and he made some big mess ups. He messed up quite a bit. Adultery, murder. He was guilty of all of this. Not, not in the way Jesus said, not if you've hated your brother, you've committed murder. Not if you've lusted after someone, you've committed adultery. He was literally guilty of adultery and murder. And do you know what he did? Do you know why I believe he was called a man after God's own heart? Because even under that old covenant, he would go straight to the father. And the times he didn't go to the father, he got called out by a prophet. And instead of saying, no, that's not me and denying, he would get called out and he would go straight to the father. He knew that even under this old, less glorious covenant, that God was a God of mercy and grace who delights in showing mercy. Where mercy, even in the old ways, triumphed over judgment. And let me tell you, in this new way, the judgment has been cast. Jesus was declared guilty even though he was innocent. And now we are declared innocent even though in the natural we are guilty. And when we rest in that, all of a sudden, we're led into Father lead. And we have this thought, man, you're a pretty good dancer. You're actually a really good dancer. In fact, this is one of the best moments of my life. I'm saying yes to you, and it's not, it's not hell on earth, it's heaven on earth. I'm saying yes to you, and this is actually really exciting. You actually did have good plans for me. As we rest we begin to trust like never before, and we say yes. Romans 5, 16, and the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. Talking about Adam. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Are you guilty of many sins? Renew your mind to the word. Romans 5, 16 says you are made right with God. So next time your mind says you are guilty of many sins, tell your mind, yes, maybe, but Romans 5.16 says I'm still made right with God. That is renewing your mind to the word. That's also a little bit James 3.16. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You tired of hearing that stuff on the inside? Are you tired of hearing that stuff on the outside from, from, from the enemy speaking those lies to you? Respond with the word and watch him flee and turn around and run the other way. Amen. As we rest, it leads to trust. Doesn't this also sound like Psalm 23? Uh, I could read the whole thing, but you probably know it by heart. You know it says... 
you are my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want you lead me to green pastures. One thing that says we do in that chapter, it says we walk through the valley, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the only place that doesn't say the word leads us to, but we still get there sometimes. Even when we are there, you're with me, your rod and your staff comfort me. This is a great part too, my favorite part. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What do you do at that table? You sit, which is a place of rest, and you enjoy the banqueting feast that the Father's prepared for us. And what do we know what that feast is? Well, it's got some bread, it's got some wine, it's the body of Jesus, it's the blood of Jesus. We sit in a place of rest, and we enjoy that meal. And what's the next part? In the presence of our enemies. There's enemies out there. There's trouble out there. There's lies out there. This world will come against you. The enemy is absolutely against you. But even in those moments, you can be at rest, seated at that banqueting table. Remember the blood of Jesus. Remember the body of Jesus that was broken for you. Every time you're tempted to get out of that place of rest and get into that mindset of I gotta earn it or I've lost it. Poor guy, see, that's what happens when you think you've lost it. You just, you have these outbursts and it, that's, that's all of us right there, right? John 16, 33 says, Jesus talking here and he says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. There's a promise of God, right? We talk about all the ones that make us smile and happy. This one has this little part. He's like, hey, I'm promising you something else here. You will have trouble. But this is the best part of that promise. Fear not. I've overcome the world. There will be enemies, but there's a table in the presence of those enemies. And we can do our best to fight them if you want, I guess. Wear yourself out. Or you can labor and work, and that work is right here in your mind, to enter that rest, sit at the table, in the presence of those enemies and know that we don't have anything to be afraid of. They have been overcome. That place of rest will lead to the best feast you've ever had. That place of rest will lead to dancing in the sanctuary to Paul Simon's Graceland. Yeah, it's a land called grace. This is all because of grace. That's the free gift of God that Paul keeps talking about is grace. And our mind will conform to this world overnight if we're not set on renewing it to what the word says. There'll be a moment today for every one of us. Call it a prophecy. Call it just being alive for 39 years and knowing how it works. There'll be a chance today for every one of us to have this thought, ooh, I've done really well. I probably just made God really happy with me. I've probably earned a good place with him. Or we'll have a chance to say, ooh, I just messed up. I bet you God's looking down at me and he's cutting me off right now. But when that happens, remind yourself, even though I mess up, I am made right with God. That is the place of rest. And when he speaks, you'll be ready to listen. You'll be ready for him to lead. And the Lord leading you through this life is going to be better than anybody else leading you through this life. He's got good plans for you. He's got plans to give you a hope and a future. We talked about that. That's our whole conference. 
The plans of God are good. You know where we get it twisted. I, I quote this a lot. It's a C.S. Lewis thing from the, from the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the, the world of Narnia where the kids don't realize that they're going to see a lion. Aslan is a lion. He represents Jesus. And when they realize that he is a lion, they ask, they ask the guys around and they say, we're going to see a lion? Is he safe? And it's my favorite response of any story of all time. They start laughing and they say, no, of course he's not safe. He's a lion, but he's good. And that's so many times why we get the plan of God. That's why we get his words twisted so much because he leads us. And we think, well, that's not the safest thing. You want me to do what? In my parents' case, you want me to leave salary and retirement and a cushy job and housing and start a church and start from scratch in my mid-30s? In your case, you've had moments like that too. You want me to do what? You want me to, to leave this great job and go out into the crazy job market and find something new? You want me to do what? You want me to start a family in this world? Do you know what this world's doing, Lord? Do you know what's happening in this world? And you want me to start a family? And the Lord says, yes, this is a word for somebody. They'll be born for such a time as this. They'll be completely prepared because they are born for such a time as this. His plan doesn't always seem the safest. But as you enter and strive to rest in that completed work, you might see it, you might hear it. And if you think, well, that's not, that's not the safest route. Here's the next thought. But I know it'll be good because you're leading me, because you're saying go. And then we say yes, and all of a sudden, this dancing is pretty fun. This is a pretty good thing. Why didn't I let you lead a long time ago? Why didn't I let you lead a long time ago? Man, let's not get to the end of our time here on earth and have that thought in our mind. Why didn't I let you lead a long time ago? Start with rest. Combat those thoughts and rest in his work. Amen? Come on, I'm going to invite the band to come up as we close. You know, there's lots of ways. You hear me say renew your mind a lot. There's lots of ways. I'm just going to give you a few here. The best way to renew your mind is open the Word of God and spend time in the Word. Read the Gospels. Read Paul's letters. Read what your new covenant is all about and then remind yourself of it. I mean, if, if you have a hard time finding time, set your alarm 30 minutes earlier tomorrow. What's 30 minutes of sleep going to do? 30 minutes earlier and wake up and have some time in the Word. Renew your mind with that. Renew your mind by, by making this, the gathering of the saints, a priority. Make this a priority if you haven't made this a priority. Bring your family to church. Worship next to your brothers and your sisters. Renew your mind by lifting up thankfulness in the middle of the day when you're driving, when you see something that thankfulness rises in your heart. Man, Lord, I have such a great family. Thank you. There's a meal in front of you. Thank you for this great meal. Renew your mind by going to the Father in prayer. Renew your mind by praying in the Holy Spirit. Man, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, pray in tongues all the time, whenever you can. Paul said, I thank God I pray in tongues more than all of you. Pray in tongues if you don't have any English words to say. There's so many ways you can renew your mind to what the Word of God says. There's no replacement for the Word, though. It's the best way. Pick it up. Read it. Put it on the inside of you. Hide His Word in your heart. Thank you, Father, that you are showing us how to enter into rest. The work has been completed. Jesus stretched out His arms and He said, It 
is finished. Your place with God is finished. It is final. I was having a great conversation with my friend Chris, who's here this week from Las Vegas, spending some time with us. And he said, do you know what on earth separates us from the Father? Nothing. That's the answer. There's nothing. There's nothing. No height or depth. Not east, not west. The lowest low, the highest high does not separate you from the love of the Father. Let's labor to enter that place where that is something we are fully persuaded of at all times. And when those moments of doubt come, combat them with the word. Romans 5.16 is a really good one. I read it earlier. But open up your Bible, highlight it, write it on a note card, write it on a hand, take it around with you. But when the enemy or when your own mind says, well, now you've lost it, you just messed up again. Romans 5.16, even though I'm guilty of many sins, I am made right with the Father. Thank you, Jesus, for that gift. Thank you that you made a way to the Father and it is clear and we are so grateful. Help us to rest in that more than we ever have. As we say yes to your leading and your prompting, I thank you that we will enjoy our life with you like my mom enjoyed dancing with my dad for the first time. That as we rest and, and say yes to you and experience grace after grace after grace, instead of this land feeling like a dark and dreary place that we are just surviving, just waking up for another day, we will wake up with an excitement and an enjoyment in our heart like never before. What adventure do you have for us today? What dance are we going to dance to today? What song are we going to dance to today, Father? Thank you that you are always leading us. Thank you for making a way. We love you so much. Amen. Hey, let's respond to the Lord for a few minutes. Let's stand. Let's worship. And we're going to sing this song again, at least part of it. This says, there's nothing I have done that can change the Father's love. Man, if you didn't mean that, if you didn't believe it earlier when we sang it, then I hope right now you're going to sing it and believe it and mean it. Because it is so true. Thank you, Father.